Hey, hey, it's Shay Keister, and I'm your host and the founder of Casual Cattle Conversations, a global rancher education company that strives to bring honest thoughts and conversations from ranchers and leaders to other ranchers. Be sure to follow Cattle Convos on social media to have more in-depth conversations around the ranching business and lifestyle brought to you. If you are ready to take your operation to the next level and improve your lifestyle too, send me a message about my Rancher Mind group. Rancher Minds are monthly roundtable discussions for ranchers to learn from peers and experts and leave the call with actionable advice to make changes on their own operations. With that, let's see who our guest is today and what experience and advice they have to offer you to improve your own operation. Alrighty, folks, let's take a second to thank today's sponsor. Value-added programs are on the rise in the beef industry as input costs increase and value margins remain tight. Enterprising producers are exploring new ways to improve their return on investment and open doors to new marketing avenues. The Red Angus Feeder Calf Certification Program, the most mature value-added program in the beef industry, is expanding and helping more producers earn premiums on their calves. The FCCP combines three important components into a single value-added program, genetics, source, and age verification. Cattle producers recognize the value of the yellow FCCP tag and continue to see market-topping premiums for a minimal investment by enrolling their Red Angus sired calves. And for those producers who seek age and source verification but are lacking the Red Angus sired component, be sure to check out the Allied Access Program, which is eligible to age and source verify every calf born in the U.S., regardless of breed. For more information on Red Angus, value-added programs, and the FCCP, please visit redangus.org. Thank you, Red Angus, for bringing this show to my listeners. All right, Sebastian. Well, it's one nice to talk to you again. I know it's been, I guess we have a few Zoom calls together each month, but haven't seen you in person for a few months. So it's great to see you and uh, welcome to the show. You, This is your first time as a guest on the show, so I'm glad you were able to join me today. No, thanks for having me, Shay. Yeah, it's, it's good to see you too. Uh, I know, yeah, like you said, we've seen each other on Zoom uh, and a couple of times, and, but it's always good to see you. And thanks for having me on on your podcast. Well, absolutely. Well, through getting to know you through the Trailblazer program, um, you Mm -hmm. have a very unique story. And that's really what I want to talk about today is um, really your story with agriculture growing up and Mm -hmm. when you came to the United States. But to start off, since it is your story, how about Mm -hmm. you tell it? Because you'll do a much better yeah. job than I can. So, would you talk about where you are originally from mm-hmm. and what it looked like growing up for you as far as being involved in agriculture? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, first of all, it's it's funny that uh, you say my my story is is unique and and I and I've heard that uh, you know a few times, uh, but uh, in my from my perspective, it is is it's you know it's not unique. But uh, you know, I'm happy to share it anytime. Hopefully, it'll it'll inspire somebody <laughs> at least. But uh, yeah, my 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 story is, uh, or I guess my my uh, my journey in agriculture has been, uh, you know, uh, not a straight line uh, to where I am right now. Uh, it's I've, I've been all over the place. But uh, I am originally from Honduras, uh, from a, a town called uh, Olanchito. Uh, and it's a very um, 
agricultural area. We, uh, we are in the second biggest valley in the country. So there's a lot of agriculture there. Uh, we have tropical crops, banana, pineapple, uh, mangoes, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then we have a lot of livestock. Uh, so I grew up there. Uh, my, my grandpa was, uh, was a rancher. He had uh, dairy and beef. And so uh, since I was a little kid, I, I like to joke about my journey in agriculture starting the day I was born because that, that day my grandpa uh, gifted me a heifer. So <laughs> that was uh, that's when, all, when it all started. And of course, uh, I had a strong connection with him and with my dad, uh, you know, and so I grew up around livestock and crops and uh, tractors and stuff that was that was you know what I loved the, mo the most and so as I grew up I, and I kind of decided what I wanted to do and the career that I wanted to pursue I it was pretty easy for me to decide to do uh, agriculture so I started my my career uh, in high school actually I went to an agricultural high school uh, I was a boarding school and I lived there and I got my agricultural management diploma, I think is what it, it translates to uh, in English. And so, um, because I really loved uh, agriculture, I, I was a pretty good student. And so I was awarded a scholarship to go to Earth University in Costa Rica, one of the, the most prestigious agricultural schools in Latin America. And I was very, very fortunate to, to get that opportunity. So I went to Costa Rica and I lived there for four years. Uh, which is <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing to uh, to think about uh, now. But yeah, I went there and I got my my bachelor's in agronomy. And so agronomy is a lot of things. You know, it's uh, soil science, is um, pesticides, is plant uh, plant management, and all those things. But I always had my emphasis in cattle. So I got my, um, uh, what you might call it a a minor in livestock management. And so I. Part of my degree there was to do, or our requirement, I guess, was to do a, an internship in my junior year. So I, in Latin America, we're always, you know, observing what is done in the United States because agriculture is so advanced here. And we're always trying to uh, pick up on things to see if we can improve our operations down there. And so I always wanted to I always wanted to see it for myself. So I decided to come to the U.S. and got exposed to agriculture, uh, not to livestock at the moment, but to um, crops. And so I was able to see it firsthand what it is uh, to do agriculture in the U.S. So I, I, I was, it was a life-changing experience. And so I wanted to come back to get a degree here in, um, in something related with cattle. And so that's how I ended up in the U.S., uh, First time I, I came back after my finishing my undergraduate was in Wisconsin, sorry, in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, I did an internship in dairy. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was quite a, uh, an experience living in Wisconsin, having never seen the snow in my life before that. And so living there and working with dairy farmers, it was pretty eye-opening, um, but it wasn't quite what I, what I wanted to do. And after that, I went to Florida and I did an internship with beef cattle there. And that's when I got exposed not only to the beef cattle industry in the US, but also to uh, the research that is done to reduce uh, methane uh, from cattle. 
And so it was, it was really fascinating to me. And I, it really, it really made me more interested in, in, in the science. And that's when I decided to pursue uh, a master's. And so from there, I ended up in Texas Tech, where I got my master's in um, animal science with emphasis in beef cattle nutrition. And from Texas Tech, I came to UC Davis, where I'm now doing my PhD in animal science as well, and with emphasis uh, on reducing uh, enteric methane emissions from beef cattle production. So like I said, it's not, it's not been a straight line, but you know, it's been quite a journey and uh, a lot of experiences, and, but it's been, it's been all good. Well, thank you for going through that. I mean, you truly have traveled and bounced around a lot. I mean, you mm. said you started in Honduras, basically the day you were born yeah. and you had, let's see that agricultural high school, then Costa Rica, and you did an internship in Wisconsin. Yeah. And then Florida, and then your master's in Texas and in now Texas. California. Now California. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. So did you know any English before you moved to the States? So that first time, the uh, first time in that I did, when I did the internship that I, when I was still in my undergrad, uh, it was 2014. I didn't know any English. We, we had English class in my undergrad, but I was never good at it. And to be quite honest with you, I hated it. Because <laughs> in, my, in my mind, I was, I was a little, I want to say cynical about it. I was, I never thought I would I would need it. I was the, of the mindset, ah, I don't need English. I'll, I'll, you know, why would I need it? But I, I ended up coming to the States. I, I decided, okay, I want to see it firsthand. And I, of course, I didn't prepare for, you know, not with English enough to be able to, to, to communicate. So that was a, uh, you know, kind of a, realization okay i need to learn this language because i am interested in this so i went back to my senior year i put more time into my english classes and by 2016 after graduating when i went to wisconsin i knew more english but i still had a lot to learn and i still i mean i'm learning every day but yeah so i i would say i when i'm when i started like really putting time into learning English was 2015, 2016. So yeah, I wasn't very good at English before that. Well, it's, that's still amazing that you've picked up on the language so well and taught yourself yeah. so much. So looking back at how you've really not only bounced around between different countries and regions within the United States, United States in itself, mm -hmm. but different sectors of agriculture. So right now you're really focusing on beef cattle, methane, sustainability, that whole side of things. How did studying the agronomy side, being involved in the dairy part, how did all those little internships and diverse opportunities help you with where you're at now with your research? Yeah, so agronomy because I was able to learn uh, so many things, you know, uh, so I was able to learn about soils and about, about crops and about uh, like management of different uh, parts of agriculture. It's, it, it gives me, you know, different perspectives um, when it comes to cattle, you know, when it comes to, for example, uh, uh, 
cattle on pasture and things like that. And I, right now I do more research at the feedlot. So it's, uh, I don't quite use that, that stuff a lot, but, you know, being exposed to all those things just gave me the opportunity to see how, how things are done in different areas of agriculture. So it's, it's, you know, I, I have that background, so it comes in handy when people start talking about those things, you know, just go back to what I learned back in those days. Well, that's awesome. Alrighty, folks, let's take a second to hear from our friends at Red Angus. Mark your calendars for the 69th Annual National Red Angus Convention, September 14th through the 16th in Kalispell, Montana. The Commercial Cattlemen Symposium kicks off the week and has a focus on heifer development and female marketing. Producer panels will discuss nutrition, marketing, and extension specialists from the University of Missouri and industry stakeholders will keynote the event to share perspective on successfully developing and marketing heifers. The final two days of convention are full of high-quality education and entertainment, with keynote addresses from Damian Mason, an agriculture trend speaker and humorist, Don Schiefelbein, National Cattlemen's Beef Association President, Jessica Spreitzer, the Director of Trade Analysis for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and Taryn Dreeling, an Enneagram coach and podcaster. The wide variety of speakers, plus updates from Red Angus leadership and committees, provides a valuable lineup for every beef producer. Located near Glacier National Park, Kalispell is a prime location to visit with the family. Attend the convention and stay afterwards for a great family vacation. Registration is now open for the National Red Angus Convention. Visit redangus.org to sign up and book your travel for a can't miss convention. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some differences in agriculture between Honduras and the United States. Mm -hmm. So on the beef cattle side, what would you say is really the primary difference from beef cattle production in the United States versus Honduras? Those are two different things. I mean, gee, the starting from uh genetics you know the genetics are quite different uh, you know here you have this uh, european breeds you know those uh taurus breeds uh angus herefords uh, and so on and so forth uh, back home we have a more uh indicus uh, uh influence you know uh we have breeds such as brahman and uh, uh gear and all those uh, you know, long-eared <laughs> cattle. Uh, they, they're just, they work for us. You know, we have pretty tropical climate. Uh, uh, the, the summers are very dry. The, the winters are very rainy. We have a lot of parasites, you know, and so <clears throat> it's, it's what works for us. And so it looks, looks quite different from the genetic standpoint, but also from the management standpoint, uh, we do a lot of grazing. So uh, most of our cattle are grazed. They're, they live their entire life on, on pasture, uh, which can be quite challenging, especially when we have uh, a drought, you know, droughts. Uh, it's cattle are, you know, uh, we are fighting to, to get them fed, you know, and, and, and to, to give them the proper nutrition, of course. It's, it's always challenging anywhere, but because we have cattle on pasture, then that becomes a, a bigger issue. But yeah, management, genetics, you know, the, 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 the markets, you know, the, 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 the food industry is different too from like 
I'm speaking more from the what people like, you know, uh, the consumer perspective. Uh, uh, here is more about uh, the marbling and the, uh, you know, all that all that quality. And uh, back home is also uh, quality matters, but the the what what the consumer likes is 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 different. So it it does it does um, differ there from when uh, between the two the two industries between the U.S. and you know. Honduras, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, we're, we're all pretty similar in that aspect. Yeah. Would you be willing to dive deeper into like some of those consumer preferences and how they're different? Like, is it more the specific type of meat? Like what, what do you think is driving some of those differences or what are some of those specific differences? Yeah. So uh, to, to give you an idea, I had no idea what a what a ribeye was until I came to the U.S. You know, I didn't know what that was. I, I, I had never had a medium rare steak, and you know, I, I just, I had never been exposed to it. So, from a consumer's perspective, there, uh, that it, that was quite a, a, an experience to me because one, I had never seen such a huge cut of meat on my plate and that thick and then cutting it and being so juicy and so tender. And so, and that comes from, you know, from the, the genetic that is used in the U.S. and, and all the, all the, the quality in that, in that aspect of, you know, of improvements in carcass quality and back home, the cuts are thinner. They don't have uh, that marbling and people like their meat well done you know it's just not only from pref preference but also from a food safety uh you know measurements and things like that you know it's just people not not saying that your food might be contaminated but just people have also that that caution you know they they want to be cautious about their food uh and so they they always go for well done i just want my meat well done i don't want to risk it and so and so that those are the difference there when i when i talk about consumer uh demand and consumer perspective well that's interesting thank you for sharing that yeah. so looking at the united states when you hear about beginning ranchers or first generation ranchers people who don't have a family operation to go back to we talk about having kind of a hard barrier to entry like it's difficult mm -hmm. with the amount of capital required trying and um just starting from scratch really mm -hmm. so would you say honduras has that same barrier to entry or would you say it's easier or harder to kind of get involved in agriculture um to really from a production standpoint in honduras you know that's a, that's a good question i mean uh i I would, cons I guess I would consider myself a third generation uh, because my, my grandpa started and then my dad has continued it. And, and well, now I've, I've decided to pursue an education in it, but, you know, I, I still, I'm still interested into um, investing uh, in, in our, in our farm, but I, I don't know, you know, it's just, I think, it's it's hard it's hard anyways you know to to begin from from scratch uh, land is expensive uh, and we have a lot of remote areas in Honduras where 
um, access, you know, transportation is, is quite difficult. So overcoming all those challenges uh, as a beginner producer, it's, it's always, it's always, uh, it's always hard. So I would say the thing, the thing is that I haven't been in, uh, back in Honduras since, geez, 2012, you know, I've, I've moved to Costa Rica and into the U.S. So sometimes I've, I've, I've get, I guess I've lost uh, track of how things are back home, but I would say anywhere, wherever you, you want to start from scratch, is, it, it's going to be quite a challenge, yeah, no matter what you are. Okay. Yeah. So looking at the efficiency side of beef cattle production, what are the main differences there between, you know, the United States and Honduras or United States and the world since you've traveled quite a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think from, so from the animal performance perspective, we have the performance that is done, like that is seen here in the U.S. is quite, it's quite amazing. You know, you have cattle putting on three, four pounds <laughs> a day and, you know, back home. And if you're getting two pounds a day, that's, that's amazing, you know? Uh, so, and, and that's, that's not, not only from the, from the genetics uh, standpoint, but also like from the management, uh, uh, since our cattle are mostly on grass, they're getting some type of supplement. You could say that ranchers there are on a forever stalker, uh, Phase because they supplement their cattle, but they have them on, on grass, of course. Uh, and so the, 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 the growth that you see on those cattle is nothing compared to what you see here. And of course, you know, you, here you have, you have your, your Angus breeds that are really good uh, on uh, gaining and just all the, all the research that has been done and the, the, the technologies that are implemented in the field industry it's, it's something that we, we don't have back home. So the, the productivity that is, that is seen here in the U.S. is it's what we would call it, uh, you know, prime, you know, <laughs> because it's just something really hard to achieve in countries like ours. Well, thank you. So what would you say, you know, you've been in the United States for a long time now, what would you say is one thing Americans take for granted being beef producers in the United States? Ooh, I would say, so from all the, the you know, the, the scientific publications that I read for, for my, my PhD and my master's, all the science that we have to, that we learned and, you know, we, we, we read and uh, we use is just, I think one thing that is often overlooked uh, is all of this science that has been used uh, in the industry to to get to where we are right now. You know, there are so many, so many scientists and so 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 many publications and so many um, research experiments and all this work that has been done over the years to provide data and uh, information for for the industry to to become better you know that like there is a lot of work that is being done in the background uh, to to improve the industry so I I think that is often 
forgotten. I know I don't want to say forgotten, but maybe not as as mentioned, you know, uh, because I guess it does happen in the background. You know, we we do a trial, we do we put a publication out for a journal, and then you know sometimes it gets picked up for the 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 NRC. You know, the the nutrient requirement for beef cattle, uh, or what I call the the nutritionist bible <laughs> and so sometimes it doesn't and then it just kind of fades away you know but there is a lot of research that has been done that has provided insight and and data and and resources for the for the beef industry to to improve so uh you know that's something that i would say doesn't happen in in countries like honduras there's the, the amount of research that is done uh, in in beef, you know, I, I honestly don't know about any, you know, so it's it's pretty amazing how how much research is is conducted here in the U.S. just to to improve the the the, the industry. Well, that's that's really insightful and interesting to hear. So, what is your wish for the future of the beef industry? my wish well you know with all the the scrutiny that the industry is, is held to i hope that the that the industry just con continues to strive you know it's just we have a lot of work to do uh we are talking a lot about sustainability which i am happy about because that's something that i i care about it and that's something that i i do uh put a lot of time in in my 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 graduate education and I want to pursue a career on, so I I hope that we continue to to move towards that and uh, you know to to be more open about what we do to communicate more about uh, our our industry. Uh, I know in the past uh, we haven't been the best at that, and that's one of the reasons why we've been uh, the target for so many people and, uh, you know, institutions, because we haven't been uh, good at communicating what we do and how we do it. And so I think that to me, the future is let's continue to, to, to work towards a better industry, which is we've been doing this whole time, but also be better at communicating our efforts and what we're doing. Because a lot of people don't know that we are actually currently trying to reduce the environmental impact of livestock production they don't they they think that we're just we don't, we don't care which is not the truth but the thing is that we haven't been good at communicating that right so all all that is what i, I wish for the beef industry uh, beef industry's future yeah well thank you that is exciting do you have anything yeah. else you'd like to add sebastian no i, I mean I would like to thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Uh, it's really exciting to see uh, so many uh, of you, uh, you know, involved in, in agriculture who are putting out this, uh, these platforms out there for people to share their stories and to, you know, um, have a, a, a space to, to talk and to, you know, to have this, this casual conversations. Yeah. That's right. Casual cattle conversations. Yeah. Well, Sebastian, thank you for hopping on the show today. It was uh, great to have you a part of the show.
Oh, thanks so much, Shay. Thanks for having me. Let's hear it again and thank our sponsor, the Red Angus Association of America, for bringing this episode to us. The cow, no wonder they call her the foundation female. On her shoulders rests the genetic basis of any cow herd, so it's critical she measures up to your expectations for stability and fertility. How can you create more high-quality females while eliminating the guesswork and upfront costs that accompany heifer development? The Red Angus Association of America has launched Red Choice, a program designed to aid producers in developing the highest quality heifers through genomic testing, AI technology, and veterinarian partnerships. Heifers that meet the criteria are more likely to stay in the herd, propagate the best genetics, and make a positive impact on your bottom line. Learn more about Red Choice at redangus.org. And that's a wrap on that one. Be sure to let me know your thoughts on the episode. And if you have any further questions around the topic, take care and have a great day.